You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the Best Life. excited we're doing I have three photo shoots in like right around my birthday so I'm doing the one with you for best life yes and then I'm doing one with VO we're doing a beach shoot and then I'm doing the boudoir shoot with Cassidy oh yay did you schedule that Mm -hmm. oh my gosh I can't like a couple days before my birthday so I know I was like what should I wear I've never done a boudoir shoot and she sent me some ideas so love it yeah and then I had this momentary like feeling of like, maybe I should diet. And then I was like, actually, I don't want to be miserable. So I'm not going to I'll just get tan. Yeah. Tan. You know what? Angles. Tan, tan. fat equals muscle. Tan. Fat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, we saw were, that t-shirt in uh, Cabo. In Cabo. Yeah. I was like, that's true. And I was like, unfortunately, I'm not tan or have any muscle right now. So <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what to do. I had uh, my stories a couple of weeks ago. I So where were we? Why did I put on spray tan? Oh, we went to Kelsey's bachelorette party. So Jill's future sister-in-law had a bachelorette party in Austin. So we went out to Austin, which was very fun. And I was like, I don't have time to tan because since 2020, I was hardly in the sun. So now I'm a, I'm like, I actually have this kind of fear because I'm just going to burn since it's been so long. I know I'm going to burn. So I was like, well, you know what? Maybe since I'm going on this boat, I'm going to just put on some self tanner. So you did a good job. So I put on <laughs> self tanner and it's like this foam kind and it doesn't have color. So you can't see where it is until it, till the next morning. And then you're like, Oh geez. So I literally like the back of my hands were just terrible, awful. And then my skin was breaking out. So I like did this Instagram story and I was like, you know, everyone always asks me about my skincare tips. And I just had this huge breakout above my lip. And then like, I put my hand up to my face and I, realize in the story how awful my tan looked. And so then I'm like, let me also give you self-tanning tips and my nails. <laughs> I ripped all my nails off and they had self-tanner under it. Like I just looked like a hot mess. So, you know, y'all we're just hot messes over here trying to hold it together. That's right. Speaking of hot messes, uh, we wanted to do an episode. So, um, you guys know that Danny turned 40 back in March and we did an episode. If you have not listened to that episode, it is actually like really funny, but also like really insightful on turning 40 and like all the feels around that. And I'm turning 40 this week or in two weeks. And so we're recording it and they're going to put this episode out the week I'm turning 40. And I messaged Danny earlier and I was like, let's do an episode on, 
our three top lessons that we've learned, not in 40 years, but in the last 10 years. So from the time you were 30 to now, obviously, and and Danny was saying before we turned on the mic that um, the last decade has felt like 10 decades. It's just been like so many different lives. Like you were competing still right at 30. Like it was just like Mm -hmm. a wild sort of, and then of course, infidelity, divorce, different businesses, lots of dating, yeah, many alcoholic beverages <laughs> and new relationship. And you've been with Jeff now for over two years. I've been with Keith for three and it's, yeah. it's been quite an adventure. Yeah. I, I totally feel like the first five years of 30 and the second five years of 30 were two completely different lives. And those definitely felt like their own decades and lives. So I'm excited. And also you guys know, we do this sometimes. So Jill and I will come up with an idea and then we will write stuff down separate and then share it on the show. So I'm always excited to see what she came up with and what I came up with and if they are the same or different, I don't know. I like doing these things. Mm-hmm. So we're like, I did. Okay. I had some runners up too, because there's a lot of, I feel there's a lot of lessons, you know, and I don't know, we, we should do a separate episode on just like things that we believed in our twenties that are absolute bullshit. My twenties was pretty much, you know, I was always the person I am. And I think you probably were too. I was always the same person. I was just really obsessed and self, not self-absorbed in like a bad way, but just in a way where I was so much more insecure and immature. And I think you kind of, you know, I was always like mature for my age, but I think you just, I was so much more self-absorbed and Mm -hmm. sort of obsessed with my body and how I looked and how I was being perceived. And I was really, I was a lot more sensitive about things. And I think this is just like everyone, as you get older, you tend to like just shed some of that insecurity. And looking back, it wasn't that it was bad. It was just like, I feel like I wasted time. You know, I look at people in our space who are building their like online businesses and they're like 24, 25. I'm like, damn. I mean, to be fair, that was stuff like these sort of tools and platforms weren't around Mm -hmm. when we were that age. But I'm just like, I wish I didn't waste as much time as I did on bullshit. You know, I feel like I wish that I had gotten down to the real sort of meaning and impact that I wanted to make earlier. And I really didn't turn that on until I was like 29, 30 years old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that your first thing? No. Okay. That's just, that's just yeah, like a primer. Yeah, that's just context. A yeah. I just it. context. Yeah. So yeah. going into my thirties, um, I started Jill when I was 29. And then, um, at that point I, I bought a house when I was 26. I got married when I was 27. Um, I, then I started my business at 29, which is funny. Cause I have a lot of clients that are like in their twenties and they're feeling so far behind. And I'm like, dude, I didn't even start my business till I was 29. And so I think that probably is my first one, which is that you have plenty of time to do it all. I think in my twenties, I had a ton of urgency. Mm. I think you're just so used to having to answer questions from people about what you're going to do with your life. And I remember just like feeling the pressure of, you know, graduated from college and people being like, what's next. And it's a nice question. It's a good intention. But as a 21 year old, 22 year old, I didn't really have the insight to be like, I don't know. I think I'm just going to chill for a little bit. You know, I was like, I need to do this. I need to do this. And and so I think the, the atmosphere is now that you're sort of out of this more structured sort of life, right? We go to high school. And then if you're lucky enough, you get to go to college and then you get your first job. And then you're kind of like, I guess I just do this for the rest of my life. And so you kind of feel this urgency to like, get the job, get the 401k, find the husband, get the house, get the mortgage, picket fence, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And then you're left and you're like 30 and you're like, got all the things, collected all the stuff. Yep. What next? And so I think mine is that 
I have completely relaxed into my own personal timeline in my 30s. There's no, I'm not going by someone else's timeline, especially, you know, getting divorced. I was 34 when we divorced and literally being single for the first time since I was 18. So you just kind of go, well, the script that I thought I was going to follow just doesn't exist actually. So I guess I get to make my own script. And so I think I, that's my first one is that you have plenty of time to do it all. So you don't need to be on someone else's timeline. So good. This is pretty much the same uh, outcome of your first one, but I have it written differently is that there are no rules like break them and make your own because I felt like in my twenties, there were so many rules that you had to follow and not rules as in like you have to, but like these unspoken expectations, I guess they are. It is. Everyone's always asking you, what are you going to do? What are you going to major in college? I remember even that question you're in high school. They're going, are you going to college? Where are you going? What are you going to major in? So you felt like you had to answer all of these questions to these adults. Like they even care. They're probably just trying to start conversation, but you I felt like I had to have all the answers. And so in my thirties, I just realized Nobody has the answers and there's not actually any rules. And so for me, when I moved in, like when we lost our house, so we had a house and multiple cars and had the job and had the 401k, all the things. And then when we lost it all, it was really a huge like blow to the ego more than anything. And once that happened and once the dust settled and I started, stopped crying about it and feeling bad for myself that I didn't have it all. Then when I started to kind of rebuild and we like got an RV and traveled around the country, we're like, wait a second, we don't have to like have the house in one place. We can do things differently. We can live differently. And even the idea of having more and wanting more and bigger and bigger and bigger. When I downsized, I realized there was so much uh, peace and and simplicity. And so I just think the big thing I learned of that, of the decade of my thirties was just like, there's actually no rules. And so I wish I could have break broken out of that earlier and kind of found myself earlier, but you know, we learn when we learn, but yeah. You know, I always wonder if that is, you know, uh, we always kind of joke, especially when you and I were in LA, we're both single, we're both dating a lot. You know, I remember just like wearing things that I would never have worn in my twenties. Even, you know, I remember just being like, I, I'm showing more skin than I would ever in my twenties. I was just living in like a smaller town in North Carolina. And, you know, it was just very, I don't say shelter, but it was just, I don't know, it was more suburbia. And so it's funny. Cause now, you know, you live in Vegas, I live in LA and I wear like the skimpiest little shit around. I live at the beach. Like I'm constantly wearing like cutoffs and like a bikini or like whatever. And I would never have I don't think I would ever have worn that 10 years ago. Yeah. And so it just goes to show it's funny because every once in a while I'll get a message from someone on Instagram who lives in like Ohio and they go, God, I wish I could wear that here. I could never wear that here. Mm-hmm. And I get it. You know, if you're in a place where not any, that's not acceptable, or you feel like you're going to be judged harshly, like, I mean, honestly, where I live now, and I think this is just, and so I wonder if maybe it is easier living in some of these bigger cities to go. You don't need to have any rules. I think there's more pressure when maybe you live in a smaller town or a smaller city and you feel like, okay, I would be the only one here doing this weird thing, you know? So I don't know, but I think there's an an opportunity to be an example too, but it takes a lot of courage. It does take a lot of courage, but yeah, I think it is different in different States or countries or towns for sure. Um, but yeah, you could be the one who's like, Psh, yep. these rules ain't for me. That's right. 
Um, All right. My second one is actually something that my brother, Danny, who we've had on the podcast a few times actually shared with me, uh, like the actual real name for this, which is the spotlight effect. So the spotlight effect is that we think that people are paying a lot more attention to us than they actually are. And they think, and like when really they're worried about what we think of them. Mm. And so mine is that no one really gives a shit as much a shit about you as you think that they do. In fact, they're worrying about what you're thinking of them. And so the spotlight effect is just basically like, we all think that we're the most important people on on earth. And I wish, and so I learned that no one's paying as much attention to me as I think they are. In fact, they're worried about the what I'm thinking of them. And that's kind of a really nice sort of realization that like, I'm actually not nearly as important as maybe I thought it was in my twenties. One of the things that I, I think I did think in my twenties was that, um, I was really worried about how people saw me, how they perceived me. And I really wanted to. So that's one of my runners up, which is what someone thinks we have not, is not none of my business, but I think I felt a lot more, sensitive about that and feeling like, oh my God, everyone's looking at me. I mean, in high school, that's like the epitome of it, right? You think everyone's, and like probably they actually are in high school, but now it's like, no one gives a shit. They're just trying to figure out their life, right? They don't have time or energy to figure out your life or give a shit about your life. They're literally just trying to make, they're trying to do their job. Like they're trying to show up in their life the best they can. They're trying to keep their head above water. So there's something really nice about going, no one's actually paying attention to me. That's really nice. Oh my God. I'm laughing because this is actually my number three, but I'm going to make it number two. I wrote, nobody cares about your Snapchat. And (laughs) (laughs) you want to tell that story? Yes. So the reason I wrote that is basically everything Jill just said. So we lived in Venice beach and on Venice boardwalk, there's actually, it's like Snapchat came to Venice and just took over tons of offices. And on the boardwalk, they had this big store and you could buy these Snapchat goggles or something like that. There were these special glasses that just recorded Snapchat through your eyes or something. So anyway, Jill was, and I wasn't even there that day. Um, I think you told me about this. So Jill was over there looking at her Snapchat and mind you too, if you've been to Venice beach or not, there's a bunch of homeless people, a lot of very eccentric people, um, very anti the man government, that kind of thing. So who was it? Somebody just ran by you, like some homeless lady. I think I was I, with my, I think I was with Dan. I actually don't think I had the Dan goggles at that. Yeah. I don't even think I had the goggles. I think I was just literally taking a story shot. Like I, I don't yeah. even think it was Snapchat. I think it was Instagram and, but Snapchat had a huge, like they had a big storefront right on the Venice Boulevard. And like, literally people would come by and like graffiti it and stuff. Like they hated yes. big corporations. So I was actually just taking a video. Like I think I was talking into my phone Yeah, and a dude like just goes by me on his bike and goes, no one cares about your Snapchat. And like, that was it. Just kept going. Like just yelled at me. No one cares about your Snapchat. Meanwhile, it's like, I wasn't even on Snapchat, but it was just like, yeah. And it's, so it just was something that we say sometimes. So funny. Like I didn't, I didn't give a shit, but yeah, but it's just, it's that it's like, no, literally nobody cares about your Snapchat, but it's so, and also that's the thing is in LA, there's so many people, we go to gold's gym yeah. and so many people video recording themselves, totally. taking stories, taking photos. So we're all like doing this thing for the gram or for Snapchat. But my lesson was like, nobody cares about your Snapchat, although we think they do and people do care. But to your point is people don't care as much as you think, and they're not watching you as much as you think. 
And you're probably more worried about what everyone else is thinking about you than anyone is actually thinking about you. So that was my third lesson, but I'm just going to put it here now since it kind of ties in. With it's what you so said. funny. It's so good. And it's also like when I, when I teach uh, new like business entrepreneurs, like new online business owners, I'm always like, look, people are not paying attention. I wish that they were for your sake. <laughs> if they were paying more attention, you probably sell more units, but yeah. they're not paying attention. So I think there's this feeling of like, it's so, um, what's the word? Like, it's so final. If I put something out, mm -hmm. like all of a sudden it's like, I know people are like, I don't want to make my website, um, public yet. I'm like, no one's going there. No one's right? You can that. actually work on it while it's public because literally no one is seeing it. The only way they're going to go to it is if you give them the URL. Totally. <laughs> literally. I wish that it was. So I think we have this feeling of like, oh my God, if I put it out there, all 500 people, my Instagram followers are going to see it. If you're lucky, 25 will like yes. honestly. And yeah. so I like that because it gives you permission to like, look, do your mess ups now, mess up now. This is the smallest your audience is ever going to be like, mm -hmm. do the, like, do that stuff now with an audience that already knows you, likes you, trusts you, you know? So it's like, get your mess ups in. I'm so grateful that you and I, when we started in like 20, not 2009, 2010, like that's when YouTube was starting to come up and like my YouTube videos were the worst, <laughs> but I'm glad that I got my reps out then yeah, because no one's paying attention then you know, yep. and I wish that they were for all of our sakes, but they're not. And so that should give you a little bit of peace that like, okay, it's okay to mess up a little bit. It's okay to work out the kinks publicly. Like it's yep. not that big of a deal. Of course, it's always going to feel bigger in your head, but in actuality, really no one's fucking paying attention. And that's nice. It's so true. <laughs> so yeah. So nobody cares about your Snapchat. That's just kind of our, our little inside joke saying we say to each other sometimes. <laughs> yes. No one cares about your Snapchat. This episode has been brought to you by the happiness diet. Woo woo. Love the happiness diet. So you guys, if you are not familiar with this, go to thehappinessdiet.com and check out this program is amazing. It's a program that Danny and I put together and it's really, really juicy. If you love the conversations we have here, if you are into personal development, if you're into relationships, if you're into kind of being able to like up-level your emotional self, your mental emotional self, uh, this program is amazing. Uh, both of us contributed one of our sort of like our own brainchild. As you guys know, if you're listening to this, Danny and I, we have a lot of similarities in our our story. And we have a lot of, you know, similar ways we come at things, but we also have some different sort of takeaways and different ways that we kind of help our clients and we help ourselves even, uh, through some of our biggest emotional turmoil. So for example, if you're going through something with your relationship, if you're wanting to, um, really, I mean, I don't want to say like level up your life, but if you do have a situation you're trying to work through, if you find yourself getting in your own way, if you're dealing with insecurities, if you're dealing with, um, you know, ways of just maybe finding yourself needing to like start over and have a better perspective. And really at the end of the day, the happiness diet is a mindset course. It is one that we put together and it is really juicy. And the feedback that we've gotten so far is that it's really, gonna, it's, it's going to really challenge you because it's not going to be comfortable. Anytime you guys know this, if you're doing personal development work, if you're doing mindset work, it's challenging because it brings you face to face with all of your sort of own BS and your own insecurities and your own triggers, but in a service so that you can start working through them. So there's videos, there's email automation, there's all these different ways that this, this information, these tools and strategies are, are laid out so you can start implementing and practicing this stuff. It's so good. Um, the course is just for you. If you want to stop defending, de deflecting, justifying, and just be ready to create a life that you 
love and are unapologetic. And we talk so much about communication. We put all of our tools in here. It has insights, frameworks, and just actual real tools and strategies that you can pull from us. And of course, we'll be sharing plenty of our crazy, funny stories from our own lives and also some of our stories from clients to just help you give real life examples and make big changes in your life. So go over to thehappinessdiet.com, check it out. You will get immediate access once you pay and you can start working on that life right away. Um, and my last one is something that sort of came about as a result of the infidelity and the divorce and also Mark Manson's work. He actually talks about this in his recent book. I think it's called, uh, we're all fucked or something like that. Everything is fucked. Everything is fucked. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the importance of acting in integrity and according to your values. Um, versus just acting transactionally. So one of the things that Mark says in the book, and I've heard this actually a couple of different ways, is when you're a kid, oftentimes you're just brutally honest, right? How many times have you ever given a gift to a kid and they're like, I hate this. And you're like, okay, thanks. Like you just like, they're just so honest, right? Because they just say they don't have like that filtering system. And then when you reach adolescence, all of us, we lied our ass off when we were teenagers, right? We, We lied because we figured out that if we lied, we could get what we wanted. So it was this very sort of transactional way of doing things. If I lie, then I don't get in trouble. If I tell the truth, I might not be able to go again. And so it's this very, like, we manipulate the truth Mm -hmm. to get what we want. It's this very sort of transactional way of doing things. And Mm -hmm. then Mark kind of talks about the last level being like, when you're, if you're lucky enough to kind of bypass and get through that sort of more transactional way of living, by the way, like there's adult, grown ass adults who live that way. Most people do. In fact, um, if you get to that third level, you act with integrity and honesty because that's just your value system. Mm-hmm. So even if that means not being able to get what you want, or it means having to weather some discomfort or uncomfortable conversations or put some boundaries in place or have people be disappointed in you, whatever that really scary outcome is, you act according to integrity and well, integrity is one of my values. Mm-hmm. You act according to those values just because it's the right thing to do. So yeah. it's not because it's transactional. So because you're going to get something, it's literally just because inside, and I'm sure maybe you have this feeling too, even if I like have a white lie or like a lie of omission, it doesn't feel right inside. It's mm-hmm. just like this feeling where that never 10 years ago lied with no issue. Yeah. And I would have been like, Oh, it's, it's nicer. I'm just going to lie. I'm just going to, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even think of anything of it. I'd be like, well, I'm just going to, it's a little white lie. It just smooths things over. It's just easier if I don't now I'm just like, if I even have the tiniest bit of a lie, I literally feel it inside. So acting according to your values versus the more like adolescence or a transactional way, which most people are kind of stuck in that sort of manipulative and not like because they're bad people, just because that's how most of us live until we go through something like this and maybe come Mm. out on the other side and realize how important those things are. It's such a good one. And something that I didn't, wouldn't have considered until the infidelity as well. You know, there's, I think we can easily go through just so many little, little lies. And until one really affects you or impacts you, you don't understand how much that hurts. Like part of the infidelity in, uh, Jeff did a Ted talk on this. He mentioned, he did a Ted talk on like breaking the habit of lying to yourself, but he mentioned how, when his ex, uh, cheated, it wasn't just the cheating. Part of it was the lying and the consistent lying about it. You know, after questioning, after even having evidence and someone continuing to lie, you start to realize how much you were hurt by a lie and 
then start to question and notice yourself and go, oh, like if I'm going to condemn someone for doing that, and that's been like real light on me too, is, you know, when you have the cheating happen, it's easy to like be the victim and like blame the other person. And then when you start to turn things around and try to maybe understand why they did what they did, you can go, oh, I probably, I might've lied in that situation too. And what other situations do I cover my tracks or hold things back? So it was definitely, I really love that one. And realizing when someone lies and they manipulate your reality, right? So me and you like not being in the dark about our ex-husband's infidelity and cheating, that feels awful. Mm -hmm. And you realize you, like you said, you never want to be in a position where you're manipulating someone else's reality. Cause that's really what lying is, right? It's manipulating Mm -hmm. someone else's reality to get something. And you re- you remember how like viscerally remember like how it, much it hurt to be out of the loop, to not have that information, to be living a lie that you realize that you can't like on a moral level, cannot do that to someone else as much as it might hurt you as much as like you might have to walk away from things as much as like people might be angry, disappointed, sad. You might have to have some really hard conversations at the end of the day, as much pain as sometimes it can bring on telling the truth you can sleep well at night, you know, and I don't know, that has to account for something. And I'm at that point where like that, that accounts for a lot, even though like, you know, someone might listen to this and go, well, like that's, you're not getting what you want or that's stupid because you could just lie and have whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I just can't do it. I can't anymore. Love it. Well, my third one is simply everything is bullshit. So what I mean by that was I was, you know, you said, what did we learn in the last decade? And I was thinking of this decade, 30 to 40 compared to 20 to 30. And so everything I feel like I believed to be true, everything I believed that I needed, kind of, you know, it does kind of go back to like the first one that I said about the rules, but things like maybe even back to the very first thing you said at the beginning of this conversation was like putting our body first and having everybody, I don't know, like trying to manipulate a magazine. Yeah. All of those things, like everything is bullshit. Every, everything, exactly that. Like even just getting a house by a certain, I mean, I thought there were so many like benchmarks to make by a certain time or certain age. So I remember thinking it was so great that I graduated college when I was 21 instead of 22, I guess normal people do. I don't like graduated early and had a degree in my GPA. Like literally no boss has ever asked what my GPA is. No client I've ever worked with has ever asked my GPA. Nobody's looked at my degrees. I literally threw nearly every, I threw every trophy I ever got from competing in the trash. (laughs) So literally everything is bullshit. The meaning we give it is the meaning we give it. So you can literally decide to take meaning away and it means nothing. So that maybe is a little disappointing or I don't know, maybe I, that's I find it sad. liberating to be honest. Same. I find it liberating, you know, I mean, it doesn't discount the fact that at one point that was important to you, right? So if you're listening to this and you're like thinking about competing in a competition, don't let us say that like competing, like you need to have the experience yourself, right? So like, that's what you would say to someone probably is like, look, I think the, the really cool part is that after you've done it, you go, yeah, that wasn't a big deal. Or yeah, that really wasn't a big, like that didn't mean anything necessarily. It meant something in the moment, but when you look back on it, you're like, I'm proud of it, but I'm also, but I also see in the grand scheme of things, me winning a show or getting a fucking plastic sword, like literally is nothing. But at the time that was all you could think about. Right. So I think it's not to say that 
doing something that has meaning for you, like in that moment isn't important, but later on you realize that it's just one little fucking check mark. It's a mm-hmm. tiny little check mark in like a series of what will be thousands of check marks over the course of your life. And I think that's, at least for me, that's the perspective piece going, yeah. it was important at the time. And I'm proud of it getting cover of magazine, whatever, like all the yeah. things that were really important to me in my twenties, like nice, but there are other things that I think now have more meaning to me yeah. in a deeper sense. And I'm yes. hopeful that as we get older, that will continue. You know, I, I think for you and I both, what's important is just like uh, feeling fulfilled in what we're doing, you know, feeling mm-hmm. like we're creating something, impacting lives, making a difference and finding a way to, you know, feel joy on a day to day basis. At least for me, that is. Yeah, definitely. I think that the meaning that I derive from like stuff and things and accomplishments is very different than what I, what I did when I was younger. And yeah, I think that we create the meaning. And so if it means something to you, it means something to you, but at the same time, a lot of it means nothing, you know, means nothing at some point. So it's just, it's really interesting. It's maybe like an existential kind of cerebral thought, but I just, that was my, that was my last It's good though. So now you guys have two mantras. Everything is bullshit and no one cares about your Snapchat, (laughs) but literally no one cares about your Snapchat. It's so good. I had some runners up. So the first one was what someone thinks of me isn't my business, which is a Byron Katie ism. Mm -hmm. Um, If someone doesn't want you, you don't want them. Mm. And, you know, I think this, this to me has like romantic sort of capacity, you know, I think in my third one, which was being able to withstand rejection as a superpower, Mm. um, you know, when, especially when we were dating and this kind of extends into business, what you always talk about when it comes to like sales calls and stuff, I know you did like some network marketing and part of network marketing is like, you're going to get a bunch of no's, like you should rack up no's as fast as possible. So you realize that is just not that fucking big of a deal, you know? So I think the same thing in dating, I think for me, I had never, and this is like obnoxious and I think you're probably the same, had never been rejected to be honest. Like I didn't have that many, you know, relationships, but I remember just dating and being like, oh, I like this guy and he's not into me. Like that feels weird. Like, you know, and I was like, and at first I was like, oh, like I would just like, it made me feel bad about myself, especially because like, I felt rejected by my own husband, but yeah you know, and then I just got to like, it's not about rejection so much as about a fit. Right. Mm -hmm. So then it's like, if they don't want me, I don't want them. Same thing with, when it comes to business, if I'm on a sales call with someone and they're like, ah, and they're kind of like wishy-washy and they're like, ah, I'm like, actually, no, (laughs) like, I'm just going to cut it off right there because if it's not a hell yes, I'm only business of hell yeses. And same thing with relationships, like hell yes, you know, sales call client, client to coach relationship, hell yes or bust, right? Hell yes. Or bust. Yeah. I don't have fucking time. I'm not in the business of trying to overcome objections and like prove my point and convince somebody on any level. And so I think that, you know, being able to withstand rejection also helps you just see that like, it's really not that big of a deal. You still have worth (laughs) after rejection. And you're like, Oh, it was just a no. doesn't mean anything about me personally. It's just is what it is. And it's a fit. And especially when you and I, we dated as many people as we did, of course, you're not going to be a fit for everybody. (laughs) You know, of course not. Everyone's going to be like super into you. Same thing when it comes to coaching, you know, people, uh, like who do business coaching me, I'm not for everyone. And I shouldn't be. In fact, there are uh, many great business coaches out there, um, who just take a different stance on things and have a different perspective and they're great too. So it's not so much about being better or worse. It's just a fit. We should do an entire podcast on 
withstanding rejection actually. Yeah. I really like, I really like that. It's so true. And it's, but also you've never been rejected. Yeah. I mean, but you know, <laughs> I mean, I Yo, I'm serious though. You don't know this, but when Danny was dating, literally every single dude she dated was in love with her and not one time you were doing the rejecting of everybody except for Jeff. Jeff made it through. Oh shit. Yeah. But I even rejected him <laughs> at first. <laughs> yeah, you did. You know, there's, there's something to be said about it's, it's defense mechanisms. You reject everyone first and you can never be rejected. <laughs> well, I remember when we were on Bumble and if you guys don't know how Bumble works, basically if you match with someone, they have guys have like one extend they can do every day, which means like, cause with Bumble, you have to talk to them within 24 hours or they and disappear. If, yeah. Or they disappear. So they can choose to extend you one month match a day for another 24 hours, which gives them 48 hours for you to reach out. And I remember getting pissed if I didn't get extended on. I'm like, <laughs> You're like, you, you don't want me bad enough. You don't want me bad. You have one extend. Yeah. You're not going to use it on me. What? Yeah. Yeah. She's missing out. They missed out. They it's did. their problem. <laughs> Anyway, I love these. I'd love to hear, you know, we have so many, we have so many ranges of ages who listen to the podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would love just to hear wherever you're at, like, what are your biggest lessons in the last decade or what resonates of these ones with you? Um, does anyone care about your Snapchat? Do you do that? Dude, I love hearing from uh, listeners because y'all have so much fucking wisdom and we do. We have people in our twenties who are like out in the dating world, like sleeping around, having fun. And then we have people who are like in their fifties and sixties have been married for 30 years and y'all have so much wisdom and so many different life experiences than us. Uh, would love to hear your two cents. Maybe we'll like crowdsource a little, a little handout for people. That would be fun. That yeah. would be fun. Maybe we'll do it in a group. Um, to put together your, I know Mark Manson did that. I think when he turned 30, he was like 30, you know, 30 lessons from the readers or something like that. Yeah. Um, it could be super fun because I know y'all have a ton of wisdom. You have a ton of different experiences and let us know if these resonate with you, or if you have your own unique one that you would like to add to the list, go to the best life podcast.com. That is our new website. Yes. Yep. A new yep. website. Um, but on there, you can find the link to our closed Facebook group. It's a free group hop in there, uh, connect with the people in there. I think it's mostly gals, uh, connect with them and drop your two cents on what you have learned in the last decade or what you wish that you knew sooner, or maybe mm -hmm. what you learned after 40. That'd be great. Mm -hmm. Love and it. Crowdsource. We need, we need to bring, we need a mind share. Yes, we do. All yeah. right, guys. Thanks. And make sure you subscribe and leave us yeah. a review if you can. All right, y'all see you soon. Bye.